As Iyanla Van Zant once said, it's important that we share our experiences with other people. Your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. At Project Sleep, we believe that your stories matter, which is why we train people with sleep disorders on how to share their stories through our Rising Voices program. This Rising Voices podcast series features a variety of firsthand stories from people living with sleep disorders around the world. Each person's story offers unique and important insights. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique, which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. So I'm Eilish Finnegan and I'm from Northwest Chicago and I grew up on three acres with my three sisters, one older, two younger, in our yellow brick ranch. And we grew up with our Canadian immigrant parents who lovingly raised us to love being outside. And we would always be playing with each other and our neighborhood friends, rain, snow, or shine. And we didn't spend too much time watching TV or playing computer unless we would play a few games fondly of our NHL 2002 hockey game. Uh, We would always verse Canada and the US. And uh, just as much as I like to play outside with my sisters, I loved playing with my blocks. I then progressed to building with Legos and would build Lego cities complete with elevated train tracks, was definitely inspired by the L train in Chicago, and would have them operate so that my Polly Pocket dolls could sit inside of the little train and move around my Lego city. So it was pretty clear early on that I was interested in design and specifically interested in architecture um, for as long as I can remember. Just as I was having a budding relationship with design, I was also having a budding relationship with sleep, probably around a similar age at my birthday party at our local mall, which I've been told is kind of a Midwestern thing. I'm a December baby, December 10th, and my birthday party was to go to the mall and visit Santa with my friends, and you could ride around in a little train around Santa's village. And by the time it was my turn to see Santa, I was asleep, um, which was not uncommon for me. I got my own room, which I'm sure is a defining moment of lots of people's childhoods. Um, It certainly was for me as well, uh, but not in a positive way. I used to share a room with my little sister, Bryden, um, and she and I are about a year apart, so we're quite close. And we shared a room in the back of the house. And it shared a wall with my parents' room. So we always felt really safe and 
protected. And I say we, but really it was me. I was definitely the one who had the most anxious relationship with sleep. And I was always anxious to go to bed and didn't like going down for naps. Whereas Bryden could sleep more soundly than I. So when I got my own room, which was now in the front of the house, And um, there's a really gorgeous view out from my room, which I appreciate now. But at the time, I didn't like how it faced the road and how it was by the front door so that I always felt like I was the first line of defense for the family. Everyone else would be asleep in the back and I was in the front by myself. So I got my own room and probably within the first month of having my own room, I remember one night crawling into bed and turning on my side to face my closet door as I always did because I didn't like ever facing my my door because I felt like if I could hide from things that would come into my room by turning away from them. And I saw some car lights heading down our street, which I thought was odd because it's kind of a sleepier neighborhood and there wouldn't really be cars going down the street at that hour. And my anxieties picked up when I saw the car lights turn off our driveway which was unmistakable. The front yard of our house is two acres and the driveway is quite long. So when a car comes up our driveway, you know, Um, and I could hear the car and I could see the lights peeking through my blinds. And I was in bed just kind of waiting to hear my parents coming down the hall. Surely they knew that a car was here. And when I didn't hear anyone from the back of the house, I realized that there were footsteps inside the house at the front where my bedroom was. And I was paralyzed in bed and felt like an eternity had passed listening to these footsteps go back and forth and knowing that I had just seen a car come up our driveway and that somebody was here. And I felt like they were there for me. It wasn't until a few moments later when the footsteps started to fade away and I got up from my bed and went to my door and peeked down the hallway to make sure no one was there. And I ran back to my parents' room, right down the back hallway, past my bedroom that I used to have with my sister and right into my parents' room and exclaimed that someone was in the house and somebody was there for me. And those fears were quickly squashed by a full search and walkthrough by my dad clearly to appease my fears, but I wasn't convinced. And I began from really that point on sort of creating these little escape routes or points of egress from my house, designing these points of egress for myself. So in the bathroom that the sisters all shared and in my room, um, because we're in a ranch, it's one story, I would take away at some of the screens on the windows so that if anything happened again, I would push out the screen and run into our front front lawn and run to my neighbor's house and tell them what had happened. And I felt like I was keeping a good secret. Like I didn't want to tell my parents I was doing that because I was really embarrassed. I you know, would always have to blow up a mattress and go sleep in my sister's room after telling my parents that something had happened. So, and I felt like now that I had my own room, I had to be an adult and be mature and take care of myself. So I started to create these coping mechanisms um, when I was quite young. And those visitations continued to happen throughout middle school and high school, but I definitely got better about taking care of it on my own, no matter how scary it was because I felt embarrassed being a high schooler, having to go in my parents' room and saying that, you know, I had had this vision and that I was afraid. And I felt like I was being a bother to them when I would do that. So I just tried to take care of it on my own. 
And then once I left middle school and went to high school, I noticed that my sleepiness was not just an issue at night. I started to fall asleep during class here and there, definitely before lunch, um, and started to develop these coping mechanisms of pinching at my legs or pulling at the ends of my hair while I was sitting there in my unisex khaki pants, which was our delightful uniform pants. And I felt like my sleepiness was attributed to playing varsity tennis, soccer, lacrosse, basketball, and being in all these AP classes. And my mom would tell me that I would come home and go to bed, take a nap right after school, and then have a little bit of dinner and then do some work. But that was really my routine. Like I had to come home and sleep. And I visited my pediatrician who I explained my sleepiness to. And she tested for mono and for some issues related to the thyroid, both of which were negative. And that was kind of that. I felt like, okay, well, this is just me going through puberty or this is really common for everyone else. One thing I didn't mention was my visitations as I call them, because I didn't think that they were related at all. So I just kept it to sleepiness and that was it. After high school, I was on an exhausted cloud nine. I decided to go to Auburn University to pursue my dream of becoming an architect. And Auburn is in, or Auburn University is in Auburn, Alabama. And in your first year of architecture school, it's called Foundation Studio. And it's sort of the uh, weed out year. Like if you aren't up to snuff, you get cut. And if you don't think you can handle it, then you have to drop out on your own. I don't remember how many kiddos we started with, but uh, I think we ended with maybe like 30 or something like that, um, which was crazy. So there were lots of cuts and people dropped out. I remember all of us being super sleepy and everyone was really tired because we had to pull all-nighters and stay awake all the time to finish our projects. Architecture school is notorious for bad sleep health and habits. So I felt like I was part of a group that was all miserable. Misery certainly loves company in the first year of architecture school. And it wasn't until I felt like different things were happening to me than other people. And one time we were at a museum in Auburn doing an assignment. We had to sketch these sculptures and he and I had come in from the sculpture garden and we were in the lobby of the museum and we'd gotten some water. It's not a big museum, but they have a small cafe there. And I had gotten some water and he had made a comment about one of the sculptures and he's hilarious and always makes me laugh. And I was listening to him and he made this joke and I remember just collapsing. I lost all control of my knees and fell to the ground and sort of collapsed like a little folding chair and dropped the glass of water along with me and was sort of laying there on the ground with the water pooling around my knees and my ankles. And I could hear Connor and he was laughing and was confused. And I was laughing, but I was also mortified. And I was like rendered useless on the ground, but was trying so hard to get up. And I think what bothered me most was that I couldn't help him help me. I hate to feel like a bother. And like I said before, I felt like my sleep had been a bother when I was younger. And then this thing, I didn't want to be a bother to Connor and embarrass him in this museum, but um, that had happened. And once I 
got up, which was after about maybe 10 seconds, but definitely felt like longer. Wow, that was crazy. Like you made me totally collapse. That had never happened before. Um, I had experienced muscle weakness before when I was tired or things like that, but never to this extreme. Shortly after that, uh, school carried on and uh, I sort of hit an all-time low, uh, which was definitely new for me. I was failing physics. And I don't know if anyone knows, but you have to pass physics in order to get into the professional school of architecture um, at Auburn and other five-year programs. And I had never failed a class before, never gotten below a C or anything like that. So I was mortified. I was mortified to tell my parents and mortified to tell my studio mates who were all passing. Another thing where I felt like, okay, something here with me is different. Um, when I would be either sleep through physics, which was at eight in the morning, which is a horrible time to schedule a physics class, or I would sleep through it, or I would come back after it and sleep through um, the rest of the day and then have to go get up and go to studio and keep working. And so as a result, my grade really took a turn and I did fail. I fully failed it. And I had to retake it at home in the next summer to then pass and then get into the professional school. And my friends uh, call me Elsa because Eilish is actually like the Gaelic version of the old Norse name, Elsa. Um, but I do feel like people equate me to some of her attributes sometimes. I definitely am. A strong person. So for me to have been failing physics was something that I really wanted to hide because I was really embarrassed about it. And then lastly, in my second year of school, after that sort of tumultuous, confusing first year, I was like, okay, that was just a crazy year. I'm sure second year will be better. Um, but my sleep was not better when other people's was getting better. Other people had more time to dedicate to their health. And I still felt like, why am I behind? Um, and it wasn't until I was going on a trip to Atlanta during my second year with some other studio mates, again, on some kind of studio tour or trip. Um, and I wasn't as close with them. And I fell asleep in the car, which was not uncommon. I can fall asleep in the car on like a five minute car ride. And this was a two hour car ride to Atlanta. And I was totally asleep the whole time. Mouth open, probably snoring, all of that uh, illustrious goodness of sleep. Um, and I was totally embarrassed. And when I had gotten back home from that trip, I remember thinking, okay, I need to take some kind of action here. Um, and I remember knowing about something called narcolepsy, just through passing comment or social media or what have you. And I remember thinking that, okay, well, people who have narcolepsy are like walking down the street and just fall asleep in the middle of the road. And that's that. And I was like, there's no way that I have something like that. Let me look it up to rule out an extreme. I definitely am just overtired, overworked. And I remember looking up uh, narcolepsy and feeling like, oh my gosh, like it was almost as if I had written the description myself. And then I also saw a link to something called cataplexy, which then was like, okay, so there's a word for this thing that happens to my knees and had been happening since that encounter at the museum every time that I laughed really hard. And I took a second to think about that. And I called my mom and I, who's a very rational woman, 
And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, I'm pretty sure that this is what's happening. And I talked with her about it and she said, okay. And she um, spoke with a sleep specialist at home. And I'm very lucky to live really close by to a really good sleep center, Good Shepherd Hospital Sleep Center um, in North Barrington, Illinois. And I flew home shortly after on a weekend. um, So I wouldn't miss school and was uh, visiting with the sleep specialist and did some testing. And he was able to positively diagnose me with narcolepsy with cataplexy. So narcolepsy is a chronic neurological disorder of the sleep-wake cycle that usually develops during childhood or young adulthood. Um, I think that I had some kind of form of pediatric narcolepsy. I certainly showed signs as a child. Um, It affects uh, one in 2,000 people. And I did some math, which is not my forte, although I am an architect, so it should be. And there's about... uh, 2,800 people, faculty and staff, students at Auburn. And so 14 of them should have narcolepsy. Um, One, I know two, not including myself, um, one of which is a recent Jack and Julie scholarship recipient. Um, She received that last year. So some symptoms of narcolepsy include excessive daytime sleepiness, which is definitely one of my symptoms. Cataplexy, which is full Full to partial paralysis or sudden muscle weakness triggered by emotions like laughter, surprise, annoyance, or exhilaration. Um, And cataplexy is definitely one of, if not my worst symptoms. Hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations, uh, which are vivid hallucinations that may be terrifying while falling asleep or waking up. Sleep paralysis and disrupted nighttime sleep. Uh, Sleep paralysis is also one of my worst symptoms. I had sleep paralysis last night, actually, and disrupted nighttime sleep. And there's two types of narcolepsy, narcolepsy with cataplexy, which is um, categorized by a hypocretin deficiency or a loss of hypocretin. And hypocretin is an important chemical in the brain for regulating wakefulness and narcolepsy without cataplexy, um, which there is less known about right now. In terms of diagnosis, there are two sort of exams or tests that you take, the nighttime polysomnography exam and the daytime multiple sleep latency test. And treatment, there are wake promoters or stimulants for daytime sleepiness, nighttime medications for daytime sleepiness and cataplexy, antidepressants for cataplexy, scheduled daytime naps, and social support and community. Uh, I have taken a wake promoter or stimulant for my sleepiness. Um, and now that I am out of school, I am going to look into some options for my cataplexy, which I said is my worst symptom. I just felt like my collegiate schedule personally didn't permit me to explore those options quite yet. So I'm excited to be looking into them now and definitely took advantage of scheduled daytime naps. Um, I have really great faculty and staff who would allow me to skip out of a little bit of studio to nap in our library and social supporting community is huge for me not just with being a part of project sleep but my friends and my family my boyfriend jonathan who is a huge support so a special shout out to jonathan my friends know exactly how to hold my head and my neck up when i cataplexy and know really how to help me get through those kinds of isolating times for sure so that's a really big part of treatment for me Uh, In terms of my life with narcolepsy, after my diagnosis, I really didn't know how I was going to get through school. I had been trudging along for two years, um, and I knew that this was my passion. And I had methods for coping, but I kind of decided it was time to figure some things out. 
So I began to sketch in my sketchbook while I was taking notes, just sort of these little figures that I would see in my dreams. Um, most of my hallucinations involve just like dark hooded figures. So I decided to bring them out of my brain and put them onto paper because that's what I'm trained to do. So and I had a lot of support from faculty and staff and classmates, but I wasn't sure if the professional world would receive it the same way. I had had several internships and my sleepiness wasn't necessarily an issue during them just because of my stimulant and my coping methods, but I really wanted to share this other side. So I remember posting some of these sketches on Instagram and getting a comment from a follower, which is as follows. She says, I've been following along for a while now. Really love your work and admire your dedication to bringing awareness slash sharing your personal experience through these projects. As a former architecture student who couldn't continue due to narcolepsy with cataplexy, you continue to inspire me. And this, like that inspired me because I felt like, okay, wow, like I'm representing a sm an even smaller group of people that are designers or architects that have narcolepsy and they couldn't complete this really rigorous education because of this condition. So I felt all the more empowered to finish and um, really be open about it. So I decided to take a personal risk and put um, these sketches and drawings in my portfolio. I made, I made a cover for it and I included it in a section in the back of personal works explaining that I have narcolepsy. I explained what it was and I entitled that Dreams. And so after that, and I submitted it for our fourth year architecture portfolio competition, as all of our classmates and myself have to do for fourth year. And I actually won the portfolio competition. And one of the comments was that the personal anecdote and the inclusion of this dreams work was really powerful and was evidence of me as a designer, but also just being able to think about other things and explore design through this other lens. Um, and I was really surprised by that, but was really excited and felt like, okay, I can really keep doing this because I really wanted to. And so then after that, dreams kind of took off a little bit and I made my website and continued to post on Instagram and started to adapt the figures and try new things. And um, most recently last year, I made some apparel, some t-shirts with dreams on them to kind of test out a new medium. And then most recently, I have used dreams as a collaboration with my fifth year architecture undergraduate thesis. So I'm going to read a small portion of what I wrote here. This thesis was born out of a desire to explore the depths of my subconscious through an architectural lens. As a person with narcolepsy, as I'm sure lots of people watching can relate, I have a unique ability and opportunity to grasp this uncanny existence between waking and dreaming, for it is a reality that manifests itself most familiarly to me. This thesis is that of a personal manifesto, but one that aims to further develop the conversation of architecture's role within each of our subconscious existences. How can the architecture that we see out here become more like the architecture that we see in there? So in terms of my future, um, I 
after deciding that I wanted to be more uh, forthcoming and I guess public with my expression of dreams and the merger of narcolepsy and architecture, I found a lot of success. Um, I am humbled to be the 2019 undergraduate student of the year for the College of Architecture, Design and Construction for Interior Architecture, which is my secondary degree. And really the whole goal of me uh, exploring my architecture and my narcolepsy is an effort to raise awareness, which is really what my whole thesis was. Um, and that's important because there is an eight to 15 year uh, gap between symptom onset and diagnosis. And currently under 50% of people are diagnosed. But as I've said before, I may not know what it's like to be fully awake, but I definitely know what it's like to be alive. And for that, I'm so grateful and really excited to be able to share my talk with everybody today. So thank you so much. Yay. Thank you, Eilish. Oh my goodness. If anyone has seen me on the past broadcast and they know I am a crier and this was like, did you have to say the part at the end about you're not awake, but you're alive? Oh my God. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Loved it. Oh, Eilish, you're an incredible woman. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, oh. <laughs> oh, I was thinking back to when you first contacted me mm -hmm. and uh, you sent me, I think you wanted to volunteer just in general or something. And you sent me like this, like <laughs> portfolio of like uh, thoughts. I don't know what to describe it. Ideas. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and some of the quotes that you had included in there were some of my favorite quotes already. And it just always felt like, you know, for, since I first met you, just that you're such a special person and uh, I feel so lucky to have you in this community. So I'm going to start with a few questions for yes. you. It, okay. So as a fellow person with narcolepsy with cataplexy, when you say that you are not currently medicated for your cataplexy is like, mm -hmm. so kind of like, whoa, like, how do you like manage? Cause my cataplexy is pretty bad too. And I can see, even if I feel the slightest bit of it, I can see my decision-making shift, like mm -hmm. a small example, but, um, as having some more worse than usual cataplexy recently, and I could hear my neighbors in my courtyard and I wanted to go check my mail, but I was like, I knew I would have to walk past them to check my mail. And so I like decided just not to, because, mm -hmm. you know, just knowing, so, um, and it's small, it doesn't really matter, but how do you cope with cataplexy and take on big trips, like going to Japan and yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us more about that. Totally. So yes, I'm not medicated for my cataplexy right now. Um, but usually I have a pretty good grip on what my triggers are and lots of them are my studio mates and my friends. But one of the biggest things that I don't do really is drive. I really give myself like a 30 minute limit in terms of driving just because my trigger is laughter and silent car rides are boring. So if I'm listening to a podcast or something, I have a tendency to laugh. So for that reason, I try and avoid driving. I try to stay away from situations that I know would cause me bodily harm. So if my friends and I are going up some stairs after a lecture in school and studio, I will let them go first and then I will go after so that the staircase is clear so that I don't cataplexy um, again, because I have full body. So I really will fully collapse to the ground. 
But really, I try to just educate my friends and the people around me on what to do if it does happen. And lots of them have gotten really good about knowing if it's going to happen, what it kind of looks like. They know what embarrasses me. So what embarrasses me is like, and I'm sure other people feel this way, is like, cataplexy face like I don't know what I look like when I cataplexy but I know that my face is like droopy and paralyzed so especially my boyfriend John will like if it happens he'll like hold me and hold my face away from people's because I know that that he knows that that's embarrassing or my friends will they know that my knees go first so they'll try and hold my upper body to brace me while my knees are paralyzed and then also long hallways uh in studio, there's a couple breakpoints in long hallways where I know that there are little ledges. So I just try and pace my walking so that I can reach those points should I encounter somebody in a hallway. But um, I'm definitely looking forward to exploring some uh, treatment options for that now that I'm out of school. So thank you for sharing about that. Um, I could, you know, have a longer conversation with you about yeah. it. It's so interesting, but um, let's see. Uh, I was wondering when you were talking towards the end about this, uh, you know, our, this final project that you did, mm -hmm. creating these worlds, you know, this world that really articulates the experience of a hypnagogic hallucination. Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering, I, I started to think also about some of these pop-up things that are happening in the last couple of years. One uh, I went to in New York with Michelle Zagardo was called, I think it was called Dreams, you know. So I just, the question sort of is, uh, could you ever imagine trying to create some sort of physical architecture that somehow, you know, speaks to some of this or any part of your narcolepsy experience? Yeah, that's such a good question because during my review, and I guess I should preface this by saying like, I'm passionate about experiential architecture and designing these kind of installations or experiences for people to escape a norm and experience this kind of other thing. Um, because I have, I wrote about it and have a suspicion that people tend to like these kinds of experiences, even if they are uncomfortable, people tend to gravitate towards things that make them feel uneasy because we li lead fairly safe lives. So I was told by one of the reviewers that it would be interesting to design a building or an architecture that makes the kinds of eerie sounds that I have in the video that I made for my thesis, which is on YouTube, um, or to have like a building make this kind of wind tunnel, which is like one of the images that I showed so that you can feel that kind of presence or in one of the reviewers said that she wanted to like trudge through the landscape of REM. Like if there was just like a pit of like black mud or something that you had to trudge through. So that was really interesting. So, and even just weird things like doors kind of opening the wrong way or little architectural moments that would make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and translate it into an actual building is what I think the next step for me is after this project. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, it reminds me of those those things that people now put over to do the alternative experiences. I'm forgetting the oh, name yeah, of them. Yeah, VR, virtual VR. reality stuff. Mm-hmm. People have asked me about that. Like, is there anything to do to raise awareness uh, about sleep with some of that? And I, that's kind of like what has come to mind to me, but you have actual, you know, that would be really cool. This is another yeah, way to totally. it. 
we have a question from Matt. <laughs> Matt says, what is it like to be that awesome? Hi, Matt. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. Right back at you. <laughs> and uh, Connor asks, have you tried meditation for controlling cataplexy? Mm. I have tried meditation for controlling my sleep paralysis and my hallucinations, but not my cataplexy. Even just like doing uh, like light touch massage or sometimes ASMR, but not like just sort of like relaxing sounds to help me fall asleep peacefully and like really lower my anxiety before falling asleep so that I'm less prone to having sleep paralysis or hallucinations. Um, but I haven't tried it for my cataplexy. Although I did hear from somebody that frankincense is something that they use, like having some frankincense is something that they find helps reduce inflammation. Um, so then they feel like their cataplexy is a bit better after they have spent some time with some frankincense, but um, I have not explored that yet. That is a good thought. Yeah. I always think it's sometimes a shift of your, when you said frankincense, I thought, oh, well, if you did it in the moment, I could see shifting your, uh, your thoughts, you know? So if like something's funny and then you're like, smell this, like, you know, you're like, ah, you know, so I could see something like that. It's interesting. I haven't heard of anything like that. Um, okay. Your, your dad says that you can come downstairs and get a snack when you're done. <laughs> oh, I love family. Thank you to Eilish's family. And your sister says, yes, uh, what's, what, what's about your sister? Something about, is she in neuroscience? That seems like pretty cool too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. My little sister, Bryden, the one who I used to share a room with is going to medical school and she just finished up. She just graduated with her BS in neuroscience. So yeah, she's oh, yeah. on the other side of sleep things. So, very cool. Very exciting. That's awesome. Okay. And we just love supportive families. Thank you for everything you're doing. Um, it's just so cool to see all of the awareness that you're raising in your own community and that you're such a badass and, and doing such great <laughs> things. Um, and what do you kind of think is next steps for you uh, career-wise or education-wise? Yeah, so uh, next steps for me, I think, is definitely getting a job. And I have applied to architecture firms. And just because of the nature of this time, just waiting to hear back, and I'm in communication with some people, um, I have applied to like a graduate residency program, um, which I'll find out about soon. Uh, I applied to a women in architecture symposium, actually, which is going to be, there's like a showcase for it in California sometime this fall, I think in San Francisco, maybe. And I submitted my dreams work to that to be shown. Um, so I'll find out about the shortlist for that sometime soon. No idea what will happen there, but I figured I would try. And um, yeah, just probably going to work for a little while, get some of my hours in, um, take my exams and hopefully become a uh, registered architect. So yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, I want to do like a, a speech or something at some point. I have this thing about archi architecture, just it's, it's not as quite as exciting, but uh, workspaces and, oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I w worked in a building for that was made for 800 people and it had been, you know, recently redesigned to be all like, you know, whatever, cool. And the uh, female architect, you just remind me, is a female architect who actually came after we'd been in the building for a while, she came back and she gave a lecture for other females, you know, about 
being in a leadership position and designing the building. Uh And I really enjoyed a lot of what she had to say, but I did ask her at the end, I said, um, did you ever think about including like wellness rooms or places to sleep? And uh, she said something kind of, you know, snarky, like, well, if you're tired at work, you shouldn't, you should be sleeping at night. And so I actually explained back to her that actually, you know, we had, we had turned two of her phone rooms into uh, wellness rooms and that, you know, I was using that for my narcolepsy and that other people were using it to meditate or to do yoga or whatever. And they were quite busy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just think it's kind of silly because we obviously, we actually do accommodate for sleepiness at work because there's always coffee stations. Yeah. Um, We're just not giving the right solutions. So. um, Yeah. I I should talk about this later with you, but my interior architecture thesis was a co-working space. And I made like a whole half of the floor plate, this like giant nap pit. Cause some people like to work in bed and work while they're relaxing. So half of it, it was like traditional workstations and their half was this like alternative working pit that had these little like little mini pits that you could sleep in so i'll have to share that with you later but just made me think of it now so amazing let's get it let's get it built yeah. <laughs> that's so cool well thank you again eilish for sharing your story we're so proud of you Thank you. Thank you for giving me the platform. Of course. I think as Matt said, just keep being that awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep being that awesome. Bye for now. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.